Welcome back to the What's Up and What's Next podcast, the greatest podcast of all times. Today I am joined by an Aston University lecturer, more specifically an actual lecturer of mine this past year. He taught me data mining, a very interesting module. And I think today it was interesting to bring this person onto the show because he's got amazing knowledge, is an amazing lecturer, and I just think he'll be a great person for today's episode. So please welcome Philippe Campel Franca to the show. Welcome, Philippe. Oh, Eric, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. No worries. Uh, how have you been doing? I've been doing all right. I have not been going anywhere, and I remain not going anywhere. <laughs> 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 like for these like social distancing things. But yeah, I'm, I'm all right. Awesome. Glad to hear that, of course, um, keeping that social distancing measures and everything in place. For people that may be listening to this right now who may not know much about you, what can you tell us about yourself? Can you tell us a bit more about yourself, what you do, just so people know? All right. Well, as Eric has mentioned, my name is Felipe, Felipe Campelo, and I come originally from Brazil. I graduated in the last millennium in electrical engineering at UFMG in Brazil, and then I moved to Japan where I got my doctorate in system science. And since then, like, I've been a lecturer in optimization and computational intelligence for about 10 years back in Brazil. So I lived five years in Japan, moved back to Brazil, uh, was an associate professor of optimization and computational intelligence in Brazil for about 10 years. And then I moved to the UK in early 2019. So currently, what I do here, I'm a lecturer in computer science, specializing in data mining and data science. And I do research on the interface between machine learning, statistical modeling, and optimization in order to get to a point which is called, that. there's a fancy name for that as well, prescriptive analytics, which goes beyond the modeling and understanding and prediction, but it goes to prescription. In, in prescription, not proscription. It goes to prescription, which means goes to recommendation of what would be the best or the optimal course of action given a certain piece of information. So I tend to work a lot with applications to, like, both, like, given my background, both to the electrical sector, logistics, as well as to the uh, mining of educational data, and more recently to bioinformatics. So my, my thing is statistical modeling and machine learning plus optimization, really. So whatever the application, I'm, I'm always, like, very excited to, to deal with. Yes, uh, that, that's great. That was good, a good overall. I, I'd like to get right into it. And today's really topic is more related about data. So in today's day, we, we're hearing data a lot. And it, this is not a buzzword. It's just the word itself. That's just been throwing around a lot. You know, data this, data that, data science, data mining, big data, you know, all of this fun stuff. And I think it'd be really cool to get onto a bit more in detail about what these terms are, what this terminology means, and how, how beneficial is it for companies and for people in general. So I'd like to start off by asking you, what is data science? Okay, you start with the most difficult one. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, there are like, generally, there are two mainly accepted definitions of data science. Uh, the one, one that focuses on data and the other that focuses on, on the science. What most people understand for data science is something that is related to machine learning, but it's not exactly machine learning. Uh, it is a set of tools and procedures and techniques to analyze data and make predictions about the future. 
So that's that's vague enough. Like, and, and you can hear my academic vagueness coming through the mic here. But the general idea is to combine machine learning with other concepts, other disciplines that have been floating around for quite some time, but they, they have come together in the last 20 years, like uh, big data analytics and cloud, compu cloud computing. It's essentially, in the way it's being used today, it's a practical application of machine learning with a focus on solving real-world problems. And real-world problems can come from a wide variety of, of sources, of course. So you have this in business, you have this in advertisement, you have this in, in health, public health, or in security, it's essentially a way of consolidating data and using existing data to make predictions about future events in whatever field you may want to do that. So then it's effectively like a field, uh, inter interchangeable field where you use scientific methods, processes and algorithms to, and systems as well, to extract knowledge, insights and I guess helpful and useful information from that data. and. That's like a big umbrella, right? That's data science. That's the, the umbrella. Underneath yes. that, you, you have stuff such as data mining, which was the module you taught me and many other students uh, at university, at Aston University. Uh, you have deep learning. You have big data. Just briefly, could you tell us what big data is, what deep learning is? And then we'll get on to the data mining, which I'm sure I should be able to answer that yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there are actually, you, you mentioned two specific terms there, big data and deep learning, which tend to be, like deep learning is, is a more current buzzword, big data has been around for quite a few years, but they, they are part of a, of a much larger set of concepts that you mentioned to me be, like before we started this conversation, like you have artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, uh, big data, sort of like statistical modeling, models in general. Uh, data, uh, data analytics, cloud computing, all of these concepts, they come together when you start thinking about extracting actionable knowledge from large volumes of data or sometimes from small volumes of data as well, which is, is equally as important, but oftentimes it's not as sexy in the day-to-day -day conversation. But so going explicitly on the, on, on the points that you asked, like the difference between big data, deep learning and, and data science. So... Big data, it, comes, it, it can come in three shapes or any combination of these shapes. It tends to refer to data that has a lot of variables. So if, you're, if you are collecting a lot of information about some entities, so let's say we are talking about university students. So I can collect data about the students. I can collect their postcodes, their marks in any given exam or their grades in any given module. Uh, their height, their weight, their preferred color, uh, how much they, they make per year, or like a wide variety of, of specific uh, informations related to different aspects of that person. And I may want to use the aggregate of this information to try to make predictions about, okay, is this person going to struggle on a certain aspect of university? Does this person need some specialized support to better understand these or that concept. So you may have, in terms of big data, data that is, we, we call it horizontally big, so lots of variables. It can be data that comes in a large volume. So you may have information related to hundreds of thousands or hundreds of millions of different 
people or different objects or different transactions. Uh, that's what happens, for instance, when you're starting to look at, let's say, Netflix uh, traffic. You have hundreds of thousands or, hun or hundreds of millions of interactions between different customers and the Netflix database. So you do have a large volume of data. So have the first one, lots of variables. The second one, lots of entries, lots of different objects. The third aspect of big data is uh, uh, throughput, it's speed, it's how quickly new data is being generated. It, there's a time component there. So data may not be necessarily big in terms of lots of points or lots of variables, but it may come at lots of observations per second. That's quite common in web traffic. That's quite common when you're trying to analyze, for instance, uh, denial of service attacks over the web. That's quite common when you have scientific experiments, which frankly started a lot of this big data discussion all the way back in the 80s, 70s and 80s. So we have uh, experiments such as the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland that generate hundreds of, of millions of experiments every second. And each of these experiments, it's not necessarily big, but like there are so many of them that you need to be able to process all this information like in like a reasonable amount of time. You need to be able to filter, to select, to process. So big data can come, like lots of entities, lots of variables, or very fast generating data. Uh, deep learning is a completely separate, <laughs> is a completely separate concept here. And it refers to a certain technology for training a specific class of models known as neural networks. So you do have these models, and these models have been around since the 70s. And the concept, the idea, even though it didn't have this name at the time, the idea of being able to train these, these neural networks deeply, it has been around for a long time as well. But for many years, it was impossible simply because we didn't have enough computational power to do that. So there was a big dip in the interest on this kind of more sophisticated training in the 90s. Like the models were substituted by a different family of models called kernel methods. But then in the late 2000s, early 2010s, the interest started picking up again. And then you started having the, what we know today as, as deep learning, which are neural net, mostly neural networks with several distinct layers that learn kind of automatically how to model, understand, and extract knowledge from data. The most uh, uh, widely known application is image processing. And you've probably seen it. It, 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 it generates fantastic, uh, like graphically fantastic figures because you have this, this big neural network that is trying to understand a certain concept of faces or of cats. And you start seeing what it is learning layer after layer as you go deeper and deeper in these models. And at some point, it understands the concept of a face or of an eye. And you start seeing like the, the network itself understanding and composing by itself what an eye is so that it can eventually detect it in new images. And then it starts detecting what is the relationship between an eye and a nose and a mouth and what is the relative positions of these objects in an image. So it becomes like 
layer by layer, it learns different aspects of the data, different levels of abstractions of data. And pro like this is this is a whole different area. We could probably talk about <laughs> deep learning for for quite a long time. But no, then we would bore our audience there. To death, <laughs> I suppose. No, not at all. But it is interesting because there is several fields under and related to how to sort of grab data and make the most out of it, right? We we just covered about, you know, big data, which is effectively just a field that allows you to treat ways of analyzing and systematically extract information from large data sets. And when I mean large, I don't mean like your usual large, but I mean like large enough and complex enough to not be able to be dealt with the traditional data processing application software that we currently have, which is why we, we sort of come up with this big um, data. Uh, deep yeah. learning ob obviously relates to neural networks, which is pretty cool. I, I recommend anyone to check that out. And now yeah. let's go to into data mining. So I yeah. I am not going to ask you the question <laughs> because <laughs> this, this module is the module you taught me. So if anything, you should be asking me the question to understand if I even understood or even paid attention to your lectures, which I definitely did. And I will tell you what data mining is <laughs> from my perspective. You tell me if I'm wrong, but from what I remember, and I'm a bit short on memory, Felipe, so bear with me, but from what I remember, <laughs> data mining is basically like the exploration and the analyzing or the analytics behind large quantities of data in order for one, to be able to discover two things, meaningful patterns uh, and meaningful rules. And this comes as a part of the KDD, which is short for Knowledge Discovery in Databases. Ooh, uh, that was a good save for me. Uh, knowledge Discovery in Databases, which is a very um, known process. And there's a lot to data mining, right? It's an intersection between machine learning and statistics. And it's really useful, right? Because with data mining, you what you're doing is, like the name says, you mining data. So was that a good was that a good you know try of mine? That was a good attempt. What do you think? Uh, well, I'm I'm not sharing this podcast with Aston because they may decide to hire you to <laughs> give the new students uh, uh, give you my job so that you can teach data mining concepts to the new students. That was perfect, Eric. Data mining is is essentially this, and it is a pity because we do have several different concepts that kind of overlap. They have a very strong intersection. Data mining, machine learning, data science, uh, statistical modeling. And data mining is located at the intersection there of statistics, machine learning, uh, hacking skills uh, to a certain extent. So computational skills there. But yes, like it is essentially the use of models to extract knowledge from databases. And databases doesn't need to be what we usually understand, uh, like what you have studied as databases in, in the university, like a, a, a SQL database. It doesn't need to come specifically from there. But it's the, essentially the extraction of actionable, useful knowledge from masses of numbers, masses of data that can come from a wide variety of applications. It can use machine learning or other approaches such as expert systems, uh, rule-based models, and within machine learning, the, the big umbrella of machine learning, some people include the statistical models as well to achieve this kind of predictive ability. So the rule in general is to, based on what you know, based on information that you already have, trying to predict what is going to happen 
once you see new information, once you are faced with a new observation, with a new situation. Can you, give us, you, can you give us an example? Sorry, Philippe. Can you give us examples of, one, why is that important and where would be applicable to be able to predict specific uh, uh, things? So where, where can um, this be useful in just uh, everyday life or just uh, in specific um, contexts? Yeah, let me just let me just uh, ask you a question. Uh, for how many years have you been using email? Right, ten years ago. Okay. when I was early teen. So you've been, yeah, you've been an email uh, user for ten years. Uh, during this time, what do you say about the amount of spam that you get in your inbox? Uh, do you get more of it, less of it, in the inbox, not in the spam box, but in the inbox itself? There was a lot more back in the days. I definitely, definitely think there was way more back in the days. Whereas now, it's way less. Yes, it, it still does come. I've been using email. I'm, I'm slightly older than you. I, and I've been using email for probably longer than you've been alive. So I've been <laughs> using email since the, the mid-90s. And it has been. It, it's an interesting example. And you understand what I, why I brought email into this conversation. In the like earlier days, like we used to get email like completely unrelated to any anything we we had clicked or we had explored or we had any interest in really, all the time. Like mailboxes were absolutely crammed with uh, spam mail all the time. As time progressed, depending on on the the email provider that you use, of course, filtering techniques have become better and better, and. One of the reasons, and possibly the main reason why they have become better and better, is uh, related to data mining. It's related to the exploration of text that is that comes from emails that are known to be spam, in order to detect patterns that are very likely to be associated with spam. So there are, if you process a spam file, or sorry, a spam email, a spam message. And you yourself, like inside your head, you do have a, couple, a modeling machine that probably you look at the spam message and you, you notice that there's something fishy there, right? You get this message that is vague, dear sir or madam, I'm trying to sell you something or I come from this country and I inherited this big fortune, but I need your help too. So these <laughs> these weird messages that come to your, like currently mostly to your spam box directly. The, the uses, like one of the early uses and one of the classic examples of data mining is spam filtering. And it's something that's still there every day, filtering hundreds and hundreds of millions of messages every day on these big servers. Like I'm talking Gmail, I'm talking Hotmail, I'm talking Yahoo messaging, uh, Yahoo uh, Mail, uh, Outlook, or any of these big like email providers they do have such a large volume of messages, of text that runs through, that they have enough information, they have enough material to extract valuable patterns with very high accuracies, very high predictive abilities of whether or not a given message is spam or is legit. And they direct 99.9% of everything that is not legit to your spam box. It's still those get the like odd false positive so that email from your uncle or your aunt that goes to the spam box accidentally <laughs> or like some emails some spam mails still pass through the filters so sometimes you get the spam in your inbox and it annoys you oh come on that there is this uh useless message here 
but the idea of learning from patterns that come from like this this text this like blob of text that is sent to you based on previous information on previous emails to be able to detect whether or not a new message that may have absolutely nothing to do with the previous ones whether or not this is spam or not spam like it, it is possibly one of the like earlier applications of, mm -hmm. of data mining there and you may think that it is a silly one but if you think about the total time like if you aggregate it for a country the size of the uk the amount of people that use email every day and imagine if everyone is saving 10 minutes per day of, of work not having to check on an inbox that is massively flooded with spam. If it's only 10 minutes per person, you can do the math of how many thousands of work hours per day are being saved by a very simple application of a classification method. Uh, another one, less uh, probably less silly, is uh, financial fraud detection. So you get like that's that's an example. I I used to use it as as a final coursework for the data mining module <laughs> which is like you have a, a set of transactions a bank transactions financial transactions that have a lot of characteristics time of day the balance of the account how much the transaction was worth uh what is the like like general times and places and like behavior of this customer when this customer is doing their day-to-day -day operations what is what is the information associated to the single new observation here is this fraudulent is this a, a, a scam or is it someone that cloned the other person's credit card or is using it without the, the owner's permission or is it a legit transaction this kind of detections is also uh, this kind of detection is also within the broad scope of data mining learning from past information that you know to be legit or you know to be fraudulent to detect patterns that may indicate and may protect the customer from being a victim of fraud. So it's pretty useful, right? There's a lot of applications where data mining and subsets and even parent subsets of it can prove to be useful. And now I'm just going to take a step back because there's a few buzzwords that we've thrown around, but we haven't actually got into them. So we've, we've talked about artificial intelligence. We talk about machine learning. Um, yes. And, you know, there's also like augmented reality and virtual reality. The funny thing is a lot of these terms, people seem to use them interchangeably without understanding that they're not the same. Right. So, for example, difference between AI and machine learning is as far as I'm aware, and I've been looking a lot into it, is AI is effectively like a bigger concept where you, your aim is to create intelligent machines that can simulate human thinking capabilities and behavior. And that's AI, right? As a whole. Yeah. But machine learning is not the same as AI. A machine learning is a subset of AI. It's an application of AI, first of all. And second, it's basically a subset that allows machines to learn from data without being pro programmed explicitly, right? So you just give them the yes. data and hope that they will learn something one day, <laughs> in simple words. Um, and, and there's a lot of applications in that. And now if we go and talk about augmented reality and virtual reality, which are also interchangeably confused sometimes, right? 
So yes. my my understanding, and then again, I'll I'll wait for you to give me input on whether or not I was right about it. So augmented reality is about adding digital elements to a live view, often used by a camera or a smartphone, so on and so forth. Examples of it, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar, is you, t- you talk about Snapchat filters and Snapchat lenses, how people have like take selfies with the dog filter yes. or how people just point the camera and they can see like little, little characters. Right. So Snapchat lenses are a good example. Yeah. Think about Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go is a great yes. example of augmented reality because I could just point my camera to my bed and look, there's a Pokemon. <laughs> and I didn't know about it. Um, and then you have virtual reality. Virtual reality is completely different from augmented reality. Virtual reality is the concept that you effectively emerge yourself in like a, a, a whole different reality experience that shuts, shuts down the physical world. Think about the, how you see all those like real, really, really cool uh, oculus and the virtual uh, glasses or whatever. I can't remember the name, missing the name now. But you know, you put that on and it's like suddenly you're in a whole new dimension and that's pretty cool. So there's so many different stuff and these these are big buzzwords that are now coming to life and that have a, a important role in our everyday uh, sort of data uh, learning and grabbing important and uh, insightful information from data so they, they play a big part in a lot of this they also play a big part in other applications now that we got that out of the way i was looking really forward for you to tell me why uh, is it important for companies to be data driven right there's this term that we we we, we say a lot now that is data driven what, what does it mean to yes. be data driven right why why is it important to be data driven as a company or as a business and and what what is data driven what does that mean Okay, so, so you, t- you you touched on, on on several different concepts there. So just just to like start with the two definitions that you mentioned there before going for the data driven one, uh, VR like virtual reality and augmented reality. Uh, these terms, even though like they they often come together uh, on the same paragraph with AI or machine learning, they're not necessarily like uh, talking about the same things. They are applications, and as any application, they may use AI, for instance, to be able to overlay, in case of augmented reality, to overlay the little characters in your environment, understanding what the environment is, understanding what, okay, this is a surface, this is a horizontal surface, and I I should not place the Pokemon floating in the middle of the air, I should place the Pokemon on the floor or on top of, of a surface so that it looks slightly more realistic. In order to, to do that, you need models, and there is where you come like with uh, AI or machine learning models to learn to understand certain characteristics of an image or of a video, that is what your camera is generating there, and identify what are the good places, what are the reasonable places where a character should be inserted. So AR and VR are, are more like applications uh, related to exploration and visualization of virtual environments. Be it for entertainment, be it for work, there are some some very interesting possibilities of augmented reality. VR as well, but uh, especially augmented reality for surgery. So that uh, a surgeon can overlay on top of his view, pretty much like Iron Man, like the the, the, the mm-hmm. yeah. heads-on display of, of Iron Man, can overlay on top of what he's seen, can overlay 
critical information about the patient, about what are the paths that certain arteries are taken, or highlighting certain uh, aspects of that big mess that we are on the inside. So there are some, some very interesting applications, but these are applications. These are not necessarily related to the core technologies. Mm -hmm. Uh, addressing your second question there, why is it important for companies to be data-driven? Uh, it depends. Like, as, as most things, I could probably offer the soundbite that say, okay, it's important for all companies to be data-driven regardless, but it depends. It depends on the company and it depends on the, the core business. Uh, most companies, especially services, especially companies that deal with larger amounts of, of customers, they usually sit on top of large amounts of data, whether they know it or not, whether they exploit it or not. This data in traditional companies used to be like stored in very big like cabinets or boxes full of paper, and essentially it was a big liability. Like it, it was essentially the cost of having to store that, and nowadays it is the cost of having to store it digitally with the general protections that GDPR, for instance, requires for personal data. So companies, several companies, especially those that like tend to receive lots of customers, customer data or that tend to have like lots of information related to sensors or other data generating, I, I will use a technical term here, data generating process, which is anything that is giving you numbers related to a certain uh, object or a certain individual, they are essentially, if they do not make use of this data, they have this cost of opportunity of being able to extract slightly more valuable information that may help them, for instance, better tailor their, their advertisement campaigns or their product placement, or their customer lead generation, or whatever it is that they may improve their specific metrics of success, be it like profit, be it number of customers, number of uh, subscriptions for service, whatever it is. And the, the interesting part, and the, the reason why it has become more and more important for several companies to invest in having a uh, like data-driven, at least outlook in their businesses, is first that data is easier to come by. So any company that has a large web presence or even a modest web presence, presence those have access very easily to a lot of, of information about like who are the people who are coming to visit our website, how long do they stay here, what exactly are they interested in looking, where are they coming from? So what is the website that referred them to our service? Uh, where are they going to or what exactly are they are doing here? This information is, is relatively easy to extract from any web, sub, web, service, web service or application. So the, you have availability of information and you have the commoditization of data analytics. Because up to, let's say, 10 years ago, if you wanted to do analysis, if you want to extract, if you wanted to extract uh, trends from a large body of data, you would require you would be required to hire a like specialist not only in the interpretation and the use of, of, of tools of methods for data mining, but on the implementation of those tools, because it was like something that you needed to 
implement custom make for your specific data, your specific service. But not anymore, like with the emergence of these big data analytics, business intelligence platforms, it has become relatively easy for like someone who just graduated from a reasonable computer science degree or mathematics degree to very quickly train themselves and apply these tools to a variety of businesses without the need to go through like grad school or to go very deeply into a training for that specific activity, for this specific activity of trying to mine data, trying to extract actionable, useful information from a body of data. That doesn't mean that like going through grad school or having more training is not useful. The more training you get, the more proficient you become with the use of the tools, to, with understanding the limitations of the tools and with generating new, better analysis. But currently, it, it is relatively quick for someone with a minimal amount of, of, like, of training, of background, to pick up on these tools and start generating value for the companies. And I think that's the bottom line, right? Like a company that like may I, that is generating or that is storing customer information or supplier information, they may choose either to sit on top of the data and do nothing with that, and then it becomes just a big liability data that needs to be stored for some time and needs to be stored in a uh, on, on a secure server if it's personal data. Then it's a liability. You're just spending money on that, or you may decide to try and extract some information at least to make that data pay for itself yeah but ideally to make that data like work for you and help you grow your business improve your performance improve your services etc etc i think you're right absolutely right it's, it's context dependent right but i do believe that businesses in which this applies they should definitely try and have that sort of data-driven outlook like it, it was a good word that you used which is outlook and the reason why I think you use that word as opposed to approach is because it is absolutely hard for a company to become fully data-driven where the data is literally driving every business decision made and how the company moves. That, that's not an easy thing to achieve. It really isn't, which is why I agree with you. An outlook, a data-driven outlook is important. You think about when, for example, we log into like our, our favorite online shops, right? So let's say like Boohoo, for example, ASOS, right? And you sort of like, you know, you're clicking on stuff and you've added this uh, uh, really cool uh, jacket that you saw, right? Yeah. So you, you, sorry, you added this hoodie that you saw, really cool hoodie. And I've added it to my cart. And straight away, I get like a list of recommendations saying people that have bought this or are also buying like this. And then you get like tra uh, bottoms for tracksuits. So I just bought a hoodie yes. and they're now showing me joggers, right? And normally joggers and hoodies go really well together, for example. And, you know, those are the kind of things that people won't, don't realize. It's just like an everyday thing. People don't realize, yes. but that's companies using the best of their abilities in terms of extracting that data and understanding that, you know, this will give you value. This is a concept that we learned. Um, and when I mean we, I mean we students of Felipe Compello <laughs> at Data Mining Module, which is called Association Rule Mining where you effectively uh, try and group things together. So you've analyzed over a period of time that people who buy hoodies also buy joggers. There you go, you have your association straight away and there you, therefore you can make your recommendations based on that because people who buy hoodies will be more likely to buy 
uh, joggers. And this is a very simplistic example. I'm sure uh, you have more examples to give us as well. But I think this is really important because now that business has just added value where the customer was not going to buy that joggers possibly if they hadn't seen it. But now they saw it and they're like, oh, wow, this looks really cool. And it's, it's almost as if you're trying to get to know your customer even better at a deeper level. And I think, I think that's pretty fascinating if I'm, if I'm being honest. Um, I don't know what your take on that is, but I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, association rule mining is a fascinating thing. And it, it has applications like that we, we don't commonly... Uh, think about like the the most usual one and the one that is like if you take a look at data mining textbooks it's going to be the example in 10 out of 10 textbooks is market basket analysis which is exactly what you described so like what items go together what products go together and how much does one product predict of a customer's interest in another because these things it's interesting because they don't necessarily run both ways. So let's say people who buy rum, like like Cuba, this Cuban liquor, rum. Lots of people who buy rum also buy Coke because they want to make Cuba Libre, which is a fantastic drink that <laughs> takes rum and Coke. But very few people who buy Coke also buy rum. So like you have like the, the prediction doesn't run both ways. Yeah, it's not a two way street. And the recommendation and the recommendation cannot run both ways because people who buy Coke may be minors, maybe people who you are not even allowed to advertise alcohol for. So you have like a, a soda, any any kind of soda doesn't need to be to be Coke, of course. But uh, there are different directions that are more productive for you to learn about and for your system to understand and try to generate better recommendations than others. Like this happens, of course, in online shops all the time. If you go online grocery shopping or online clothing or books or software or like computer hardware or anything that you may want to buy, any shop is going to have a recommender system based both in the associations that that shop or that database uh, has seen in the past and in something that we haven't uh, mentioned so far, but it is a quite interesting uh, topic within data mining applied to this sort of, of like optimizing the, the size of the basket that your customer is going to have at the end of their shopping session, uh, which is designed experiments which go under the fancy name of A-B testing on this kind of applications. So on top of market basket analysis, on top of association rule mining, you do have these small tests that like two people that go to a certain page and click on the same product, they will receive, they may receive slightly different recommendations and the system is learning. So like, of course, if you do it for any two people, individuals, you don't learn a lot about it. If you do it to thousands of people, you may understand that, okay, showing this particular product together with that one tends to lead to a slightly better outcome in terms of that person actually buying the new product or showing this picture of the product rather than the other one or the product with this lighting or the product with this color. So this is something that is happening all the time. It's all the time in apps in web services, in web stores, 
all the time. If you take a look, like uh, a good example used to be, I don't, I haven't used Facebook in about five years now. <laughs> but yes, yes, uh, I, I, I'll tell you that story uh, one day. But uh, I haven't used Facebook for, for some time. But it used to be the case that the, the like Facebook's interface would be different. Like even, even like you would check it with a friend, a close friend who just, got into the application under standard configurations, didn't change anything. And the presentation would be slightly different. The font would be slightly different. The color, the placement of items would be slightly different. And why is that? Because Facebook has such a large user base. And that the same goes for Twitter, the same goes for TikTok or YouTube. They have such a large base of, of users that they can experiment with several different small changes in their configuration and check what works better for whom. That's amazing. That, that's amazing, right? And with, with that, they can custom tailor to certain demographics what exactly is going to keep those people clicking there or using their platform and exposed to the ads that, that's their business model. They sell ads. They, they don't sell subscriptions, but they sell, mm -hmm. they sell your time to whoever is buying ads in their platform. So they want to keep people looking, keep people consuming that information, that feed, and clicking on ads if possible. Yeah, that reminds me. That reminds me of a good possible. thing you said. Right. That you reminded me of something as well, which is I don't know if you've seen these memes about oh your phone listens to you. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we make jokes about this all the time, and it's really true, right? Because I literally may have just you know now jumped on my phone and I was googling. I don't know. I'm googling like uh, new phones. Because I I'm probably have a slight interest in maybe buying a new phone. And then next thing you know, every application I use that has ads is showing me phones. It's phones everywhere. And for some people, they, I think some people found it very hesitant. Uh, like, um, they were, what's the word? They were really skeptical about it in the beginning because it was like, oh, wow, my phone can listen to me. This, this is weird, right? For other people, it might be the case where... I'm glad my phone's listening to me. Oh, and by the way, when I say listen, by the way, I'm being, I'm not, I don't mean literally. Yeah, lots of quotes, <laughs> lots of quotes there, but yeah, yes. Yeah, no, I don't mean this literally, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, for some people it's interesting because, oh, you know, it helps me find the phone that I want to find because it's targeting the user, which is me. Another really uh, funny story, and I'll make sure this is the last for today because we are uh, being mindful of time, is a couple of years ago, right? This happened in America. So this uh, teenage girl she got an email from a retailer uh, selling pregnancy um, pregnancy um, clothing or stuff like that. Um, and obviously, like, the dad, the father found out that, you know, such company was advertising this kind of stuff to, like, an underage girl, and he got really angry. So what did he do? He went to the store, he went to that store, and he literally threw a massive, massive scandal and was so pissed off at them for, you know, why are you emailing pregnancy, uh, pregnancy things to an underage girl that's unethical, blah, 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 all of this, right? And that was it. Um, obviously, the store at the time didn't know what to do, so they just apologized, right? A few days later, <laughs> that company gets a call, and it's the father of that girl apologizing. And now why is the father apologizing? Because it turns out that that girl was actually pregnant and she had been searching for pregnancy stuff, which is why, you know, 
she got those advertisements uh, targeted to her and you just hear the, the father apologizing because even the father didn't know <laughs> so it's crazy yeah. how how like there's some things that are just amazing and data is extremely important and uh, you are a extremely great lecturer as well so it's been a pleasure uh, having you as a lecturer i learned a lot from you hopefully from this uh, podcast episode you may have noticed that i actually paid attention to uh your lectures. <laughs> yeah you have you have I, i'm impressed uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. What's up and what's next for you? For me? Yep. Uh, besides becoming a podcast celebrity, let's see. Uh, <laughs> so what's next for me? There are a couple of angles to this question that I, fi I find it really interesting. So, like, personally, what's next for me is to try and, like, raise a couple of girls in this, like, crazy, crazy world that we live on. Um raise them to be aware of all the possibilities that technology and, and society in general bring to their generation, your generation and their generation that that's coming after that. Uh, professionally, what's next for me is uh, developing like better modular approaches so that we can like integrate optimization and data mining and machine learning in order to provide better recommendations for a wide variety of applications. That's what like gets my, my boat floating, really. So that, that's what I like to do, and that's what I see myself doing like in ever bigger context, if that, I can. That is amazing. Felipe, thank you so much for your time today. I honestly really, really appreciate it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's been, like I said, a pleasure having you as a, as a lecturer at uni, as I finally finished uni just recently. So thank you so much for your time today. And if you guys uh, have enjoyed today's episode, then please make sure to listen to our next podcast to find out what's up and what's next. <laughs> <laughs>